Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's really, really good to be here and to celebrate Christmas with you really special people. I love everything about Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the songs. I am not like the elf. I love the trees. I love the tinsel. I love the presents. I love the mistletoe. A quick little secret, I've hidden a little mistletoe all around the house, so the Phillips will be having a great Christmas this year. It goes without saying. And, uh, and I want to just tell you, I love everything. I love the mince pies. I love it all. There's just one thing that I'm pretty sure we'll all agree with. We'll find some common ground here that we don't like about Christmas. I'm not a fan of what Christmas brings. It's something called drama. Anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? The Christmas drama. It just comes and comes in various shapes, forms, and, and sizes. And I'm a man who, who loves the black-eyed peas. And they once saying, I don't need no drama. And I believe it. I don't need no drama. And I, I want to just say, like, drama, just, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go anywhere near drama this year. I've made a decision. I've thought I'd get six days ahead of my New Year's resolution. This Christmas, no drama. It sounds like a good one, eh? Let's keep it simple. Let's keep the drama at bay. So I want to just help me. We're going to be a little bit in a conversation this evening, if that's all right. We're going to speak a little bit. So I would love you to turn to your neighbor. This is the last thing I'll ask you to do. Tell them, drama, don't go there. Come on, come on. A bit more attitude. A bit more attitude. Drama, don't go there. If it's a family member next to you and there's already been a bit of tension, just maybe smile. Just don't even say it. Just, it's nice to see you, love. Anyway, but I want to tell, I want to give you some tips just to, before we get going tonight on how to, how to handle and package the drama and how to avoid it, how to not go there in this time of year. Cause I don't know about you, but a lot of the drama at Christmas time for me over the years has centered around stuff that happens at the Christmas table, whether it's dinner or lunch or whatever you celebrate. But often drama seems to erupt. And I want to help you uh, some things of where not to go this year. Just, just avoid these conversations, avoid these things, don't bring them up. So here they are. No specific order, but politics and ESCOM, don't go there. Just don't go there. It's just safer. It keeps it free. It keeps it light. Another helpful one, ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends, don't go there. Don't wonder where they are now. No, just say, don't go there. Stay away from that. I want to say, helpful tip as well, just don't make any jokes to Man United fans at this time. Don't go there. Just, it's not worth it. It's just too painful. Just for them, just leave it. I want to say, it's just without, without, goes without saying any redhead humor, not, not helpful, don't go there. If you want, if you got jokes that you want to bring up about a, a, a specific Christmas shirt that somebody's wearing, just don't go there. Just come on, so you, you know, we're all, the trendsetters are always ahead of the curve, but it's anyway, try and keep up with me. Uh, maybe another one is trying to decide whether that aunt who you haven't seen for a number of years who's arrived, whether she's pregnant or if she just had too much turkey and Christmas gammon, just don't go there. Just don't go there. Avoid it. Look in the eye and say, it's lovely to see you. Just helpful tips. You should be taking notes. But I want to tell, help us this evening a little bit because actually this, this idea of drama that comes into our lives at Christmas time, I don't think it's just a, a specific to Christmas time. There's so often things in our lives that are going on. Real drama, real, real stresses, real anxieties, real pressures. Things are bubbling beneath the surface. And we sing carols at this time like silent nights. All is calm and all is bright. And maybe in your life you're going, that veneer of what Christmas often sells us of something that is this peaceful and beautiful and quiet and calm. You go, that's nothing like my life. There's drama, there's pain, there's fear, there's insecurities, there's, there's relationship tension, finances. I don't know what's going on with that. 
And all this drama is bubbling inside of you. And you just are, at this season, this time, you're just trying to suppress it. And you're like, just don't go there. I don't want to bring it up on you. Just want to make it through the season. Just don't go there. And you've come to church. You're like, just don't go there. Don't touch those painful elements of my life. I just want to make it through. And all is calm. All is bright. Well, I've got hope for you this evening. That actually, I believe that song has, couldn't give God it more, more wrong about the Christmas story, the real Christmas story. When the song goes, silent night, all is calm, all is bright, I want to tell you, it could not be further from the truth of what I read in Scripture of what happened in the first Christmas. You see, the Christmas story is something that is not sanitized, it's not clean, it is anything but that. And I want to help us this evening that actually the Christmas story goes to places that we would not want to go. When you would say, don't go there, the Christmas story goes there again and again. I want to help us by very briefly showing us the four places that are linked with Jesus' birth. Four places that are linked with his birth, and I'll show you why they are the, the, the epitome of the gospel going to where we would never go. So the first place, this evening, I'll be on the screen behind me, would be a place called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, very briefly, is a place where as, as the gospels open up and tell us Nazareth, everyone who would have heard of Nazareth would have gone, where? It's one of those places, actually, up until that point, appears no other place in the Scriptures. It's not even mentioned. It's not even referenced. It's not alluded to in any other Jewish writings. It makes its debut in the Christmas story, Nazareth. So much so that the Christmas authors, every one of them writes, Nazareth, comma, a town in Galilee. They had to be specific. Because we were like, where's Nazareth? A town in Galilee. Oh, okay. Somewhere around there. Okay, I get it. It's, it's one of those type of places, a place that you wouldn't really understand where it was. You wouldn't be able to, you'd have to Google Maps that thing for days and search and search and search and try and find where it is. But actually that, that village called Nazareth had about, a, uh, the, the scholars would tell us, 50 to 100 people living in it. This was not thri- no thriving metropolis. This was a small, small, indistinctive town. And actually so much so, the word Nazareth actually means separated. It means separated. That's what the name Nazareth means, separated. I can imagine 50 to 100 people town, a place in the backwater, hillbilly country. It's separated from life so much so that actually they were probably, if they were alive today, Nazareth would be the town that's still operating Mixit and MySpace. They're that separate. They're still awaiting to see how the series Lost will end. Not that many. All right. Still, anyway. But actually, so much so in the, in the vernacular of the day, there came a phrase that people would say when referencing uh, things that were just, they were outcasts, they were on the side, they often would speak about it, and they, they referenced Jesus later in the Gospels, they say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. What good could come from a place like Nazareth, a place called separate, a place that is out there in the woods, a place that has got no claim to fame, that's this place called Nazareth, and we find that actually, that I can imagine would have been the butt of all the jokes, you know, they would have gone at, at, at Christmas dinners, you know, an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Nazarene, oh, and everyone would have laughed, you know, because they, they were the, the butt of the jokes, Nazareth, but it's here in Nazareth, not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, not in the thriving metropolises of the day, it's in Nazareth that the Christmas story begins. And this is so profound, and it also begins with the most unlikeliest of people, a teenage girl named Mary who's engaged to a blue-collar Joe named Joe. That worked out well, yeah. That preparation was worth it for that laugh. But I want to tell you that it was, it was this sort of thing that for all intents and purposes, I want to tell you a disqualified couple in a disqualified one-horse town. So if you would have said in that day, you would have said, Mary and Joseph... Nazareth, people say, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't be bothered. The second town associated with Jesus' birth is a town called Bethlehem. And now Bethlehem literally means house of bread, 
house of provision. It's a total difference. It's like the, the opposite of what Nazareth would, would have been. Bethlehem would have been the biggest city that people from Nazareth would have wanted to escape to one day. And actually, Bethlehem is written at a large extent in the Old Testament. There's prophecy after prophecy that the Messiah will come through and be born in Bethlehem. So there's a bit of a buzz in the air. You can imagine Mary and Joseph leaving Nazareth to go, courtesy of a census of a guy called Quirinius. This is anyone who wants to know the veracity of the, the historical references in this moment. Was that they went to, the census was taking place in Bethlehem. So they went to Bethlehem. And, and I can imagine a little bit more excited about what is going to happen in Bethlehem. Maybe there we'll be able to see some family because it's a census. The family will be able to meet up there and we'll maybe have the baby there. And they're so excited about that. There's all this hope and this promise and this excitement about what will happen in Bethlehem. And if you are familiar with the story at any, at any level, they get to Bethlehem and they are told at every level, there's no room for you here. This is a massive problem. This is an incredible problem. It would have been what many of us would have felt like at Woolworths today. No room for us. Just as chaos. It's all chaos. And they were shunted from place to place. I can imagine every Airbnb has been booked out. Every Formula One Inn is booked out. And all of a sudden, the family, they thought they were going to meet there, they're blue ticking them. They're not, they're not, not applying, not even applying. They're going, where's, where's this family? Where, where's all these people that we're supposed to connect with? And you see, they say there's no room, and because of circumstance, they go and have to have the baby in the most unlikeliest of places, a manger, where their only companions are animals. And as the songs go, a little drummer boy, which I'm told is just not a helpful thing at a birth. Just, just helpful. Take the drummer boy out of the birthing process. Just, just helpful. But all jokes aside, I want to tell you, a place that had promised so much, house of bread, a place of provision, becomes a place of disappointment. No room for us here. And I can imagine years later, you say, Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph. They would say, don't go there. Don't go there. We don't want to go back in that journey. And the story goes on. The third place for us this evening is a place called Egypt. It makes its little a debut in this narrative here in the second or third chapter of Matthew. And we see the story that because of a huge political fracas that goes on that we'll get into now, Mary and Joseph, along with their newborn infant, have to hightail it. Just straight off the birth, they have to hightail it on a donkey all the way to Egypt. Talk about having a very bad medical aid plan. <laughs> they turn you off to Egypt. Thanks for coming. I, was just, I had a baby this year, so I'm still living some flashbacks. But I can imagine for this couple... They're not the ideal situation. They would have gone, let's just go back to Nazareth. Let's go. We're small town folk. Let's go back there where we, we know things. We know where the 7-Eleven is. We know where everything is, is nice and quaint. And we can, we can just go home where everything's in this rightful place. But no, they have to go on a journey to Egypt. And now Egypt, that alone wouldn't have been the, the worst of it. Because I can imagine Joe's, Mary and Joseph, good Jewish people, they would have arrived in Egypt, a land of foreign gods, a land of, of, the, of an inhospitable land, inhospitable people, and most importantly, probably a reminder of their nation's worst defeats. Israel's most darkest days happened in Egypt. Knowing their history, they would have looked back and gone, anywhere but Egypt. There would have been reminders of every pyramid. They're saying, our ancestors built this under the worst slavery conditions. They were squashed under Pharaoh's might. We don't want to go back to that place. How can we go to that place, that place that keeps reminding us of our worst moments? It's like I can imagine if I can be for a moment saying a, a, a Holocaust survivor going and making its home in Auschwitz. That's the, the tr- turmoil, the, the, the visual reality of that moment for this couple. I can imagine for them, they're going, e- Egypt, don't go there. Don't go there. And I want to tell you why they went there. They had to go there because there was a man named Herod who was a small, insecure man with large political clout who self-referenced himself as the king of the Jews. 
This is a man who, who thought he was bigger than he was, and, and he felt so insecure at the birth of Jesus and the prophecies are lining about who Jesus was that he makes an edict that all the firstborn males in that area would be slaughtered. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going, what Christmas story are you referencing? I'm telling you the Christmas story. You're like, Gabe, mass genocide. Don't go there on Christmas Eve. Well, it's, it's in the Bible. This is the, this is the narrative that Jesus was born in. The whole generation around him died because of a man's decision, the enemy's decision. Herod playing on the role of the enemy that has happened again and again. If you follow the story back in the Old Testament, when Israel was under Egypt, under the might of Egypt, and God sent his deliverer Moses, Pharaoh does the same thing, kills all the firstborns to try and take out what God was about to do. That is the enemy's plan. I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, the enemy always comes against the birthing. Even here tonight, you might be sitting here and you might be feeling at the slightest bit of hope in your heart. We've sung these songs and you're saying, maybe, this is, maybe there is a way out for me. And, and right now, as I'm speaking, the enemy will start to go, no, no, this is all just religious jargon. Why? Because the enemy wants to cut you off at the knees at every time. As the Spirit of God starts to do something, he wants to pull you back. But I want to tell you in the story that even here, in this moment, the enemy is want to pull us away from going there, going to the place that God is wanting us to have. Finally, the fourth place they arrive at is a place called Ramah. You might not have heard of this. It's a, a brief little thing in Matthew chapter 2 referencing a prophecy in Jeremiah 31. But at the, this place of Ramah, the prophecy said that at the death of all these infants, at the hands of Herod, it said a great cry would rise up from Ramah, and the people would be, a great wailing would be heard across the nation at the death of all these innocents and the injustice of the moment. And you see, the place Rama forever would become synonymous with the place of deep despair and pain. The scripture tells us that the woman who cried out refused to be comforted. I love the fact that this is in the Christmas story. Why? Because maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, silent night, all is calm, all is bright, but inside there's been the deepest pain that you can't make sense of. The tragedies that's happened in this year alone or years that have haunted you and you don't know how to deal with this cry and move forward. You're like, that pain? Just don't go there. I've just started avoiding it because I can't move on from that. But I want to tell you, the gospel goes to that place. Nazareth, disqualified. Bethlehem, disappointed them. Egypt, defeated. Ramah, deepest despair. But I want to tell you, this was God's plan. God went there, not because, not despite of it, but because of it. God's rescue plan was birthed in the four most disqualified, disappointing, defeated, and desperate of places. And what is so huge, if you followed the whole story, tonight I want to tell you that actually Jesus didn't come just to be born. He came on a different, different mission, not just to be a baby, to be worshipped as a baby, but to grow up and become a man, a man that was born to die. And actually, the story of Jesus finds its fulfillment in the most broken of places, a place called Golgotha, the final place I want to tell you about tonight. A place that was, is literally called the place of the skull or place of death. It's a place of, of slaughter, a place of, of, of murdering crim, criminals. And this is the, this place I can imagine growing up as young kids, Mary would have said to you and Joseph would have said to you, Jesus and other kids, don't go there. Don't go there. You don't want to go anywhere near Golgotha. You don't want to see it. You don't want the smell alone is terrible. You, I don't want you to see that violence. I don't want you to be a part of that. Don't go there. But we have a savior culminates his life, he begins it in the most broken of places and he ends it in the most barren of places, a place called Golgotha. And what's so huge about this is that as he hung on the cross, Jesus didn't just go to the place of our disqualification. He didn't just go to the place of our disappointment, defeat or despair. He actually became it. 
He became our disqualification. He became our disappointment. He became our depravity. He became our despair. He became our defeat. And he took it to the grave where it was buried forever. I want to tell you today, the disciples all freaked out about this. The son of God dying? Jesus, you're going to die? They begged him, don't go there. But Jesus went there. He went to the cross on your behalf. He didn't sidestep it. He didn't go around it. He went to the place of your utmost brokenness, my most broken state. He went there. And as C.S. Lewis said this, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Years ago, as I land, my family and I, we lived in Harare. And every year in Zimbabwe, every year we'd go on holiday to Durban. It was a six-hour drive to Bightbridge in Limpopo, then a six-hour journey to Pretoria, then six hours to Durban. And it was a long journey, but we know on the other side of that journey was, was the beach, was the Sharks rugby team, there was Toys R Us, there was SABC channels. We were, we were from Zimbabwe, that was gold. But in between that was this journey. And I remember one such occasion, there was a wedding that was taking place in South Africa, and there was expectation was high. We were so excited what was on the other side of the border. And I remember all the plans, all the, all the putt course had to be in play, place. We had to get the car checked. We had to get the tires serviced. We had to get everything going. And actually, my mom was in charge. She took the passports. They passed it, put them to get the visas. And they would come back at a different time. And everything would go. And we had to just check all the details and make sure everything was aligned for this journey. They will be able to go there, making sure relatives would vouch for us on the other side. We had people to fill in the forms, places to stay. They will take care of us, change the dollars into rands at that stage. It was worth something. And it got to a stage, we had all this planned. We got in the car, so excited about what it was going to be on the other side of this journey. We drove for six hours. Six hours in the sweltering heat. Got to Bite Bridge, joined the queues. But you know, the queues were no matter because on the other side of that, yeah, there's, there's exciting things. We're going to make it. And I remember as we got to the till, I, I was a young man. And, and as we got there, we handed the passports in. And the guy looked at the through them, flicked through them one bar and looked at him and says, where's your visas? And we thought it was a sick joke at first, so we laughed. He said, no, seriously, where's your visas? He said, and all of a sudden we realized that my mom had handed in the passports. The guy had handed them back a week later, but he, the visas weren't in there. No one explained why. And she just thought that's something to tick off the list and move on. So we'd done this whole journey. We made all these plans, but no visas in the passport. And in that moment, the blame game started. It's your fault. You were supposed to do it. In that moment, emotions ran high. I may or may not have, as a young boy, said to the, the bureaucratic guy at the office there, you'll burn in hell for this. I may or may not have said that. Emotions were high. I'm a redhead, okay? But all these jokes aside, in these moments, as, as, as these, we just... Everything was, we, we're not going to get the holiday. We're not going to see our family. We're not going to make it. And we had to turn and drive. There was nothing. We pleaded. We begged. We said, is there a way we can make a plan? Is there somewhere we can speak to? Someone higher up. And actually, again, the line was drawn saying, sorry, no visa, no entry. And we had to get in the car and drive all the way back. Most of it in stony silence. I tell that story and I was reminded of this week because actually, I can imagine most of us here, if I can cut through all the Christmas superficiality right now, if I can just get to it for one moment, I think most of us here will go, hey, if, if I could say I can trade your disqualification, I can trade in this mode, I can trade your despair, I can trade your brokenness, your defeat, your sin, your inadequacies. I can take it. We can trade it and give you something that God has got for it. We can give you victory. We can give you joy that you never thought was possible. We can give you peace that you never thought was possible. I can imagine most of us go, I desire that. Most of us would. I don't know many people who wouldn't desire it. Well, sir, ma'am, I want to tell you, there's just one key thing here. Desire is not enough. We desire to get to South Africa. 
but there was something that was in the way that needed to be in there. Something. There was only one thing that mattered to get us over the border in that moment. And the difference of being a desire is I want to call us to not just having a desire, but making decisions. That's when faith starts to have feet and walk in a direction. Can we close our eyes in this moment? I really believe tonight people are here. With every eye closed, I believe people in, at Christmas, this time, the most wonderful time of the year, can be more than just bony EM carols, can be more than just a great lunch, can more, be more than just making through to New Year. Right now, this most wonderful time of the year can be the most wonderful time of your life, sir, ma'am. Whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, I don't care. But Jesus is wanting to meet with us. In the areas we've hidden, say, don't go there. He says, I want to go there, and I want to I move you from desire to decision. I want to move you from disqualification and disappointment, defeat and despair to the fullness of life. I want to move you from sin to salvation. I want to move you. I want to take that deepest pain. But would you right now in this moment allow me to come and be that one stamp in the passport? Be that, that one thing I say, everything else can go, but I've got Jesus. I'm going to count to three. And if you need me to include you in the prayer this afternoon, a prayer of trusting Jesus whether it's with your disqualification, whether it's with your despair, and you don't know what to do with it, with your defeat, with your disappointment, but you say, today, I need to make a decision, not just desire it, but I need a decision. I need something to change. I'd love to count to three. I'd love you to raise your hand. I want to tell you today, we have to make a decision. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. There's no in-between. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Will we make a decision in the most depraved areas of our life to say, Jesus, I need you. So, sir, ma'am, as I count to three, I love you, lift your hand. No one's looking around. I'm just doing this to help us make a decision. And the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fathers, you see these hands raised. Some of them, because of certain things in their lives that happen, they just don't know what to do with anymore and say, Jesus, I need your touch. Some of them because they say, I've got so stuck in sin, I need a savior. Some of them doing it because actually I'm at my wit's end. I just need you, Jesus. Whatever the story is, I thank you, Father God, that you come right now and you start rewriting a new headline. You go to the most depraved area. You go to the most disappointed area. You go to the most defeated area right now and bring your life. I thank you, Jesus, that you went there. You went there, but you didn't stay there. You didn't stay in the grave. You raised to life. And today you're raising sons and daughters to life. I thank you life and life to the full. For the first time or the hundredth time, I thank you, Jesus. Sons and daughters decide I'm coming home today. The son of God became the son of man. So that sons of men might become sons and daughters of the living God. I pray this over these people making decisions in every heart here today. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet in this moment? Why don't we applaud what Jesus is doing here? I want to encourage you, if you've made a decision of faith this evening, whatever way it is, to, to, to walk away from something, to walk towards someone, to do something, make a change this Christmas, don't leave here as, with that as a secret. Tell somebody. Tell somebody that, because this is the most amazing thing, what Jesus does in our lives. This is not a joke. This is not religion. This is real life. The fullness of life. And this is an offer to you and I. Not silent night, all is calm, all is bright. But the glorious King breaking into our most broken spaces.
this is what he does. This is what he wants to do for you as well. Why don't we lift our hands one last time. Father, I pray for us as we land this time and sing one more song together. I pray, Father God, would you pour your joy, pour your peace, pour your hope into every heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you and pour his favor on you. May his face shine towards you and may he give you.